His and Hers Horror features two adults discussing horror movies, serial killers, and other spooky content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to His and Hers Horror. My name is Tia. And I'm David. And we're doing a newer movie. Yeah. Yay. I'm so excited. I don't remember if Scream, the newer Scream movie, even showed in theaters around here. Because we don't really go to the movies at all. And it was more of a a heavier pandemic time then. Yeah. But I just said, screw it and bought it. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the new Scream movie, everybody. Yeah, just called Scream. Just called Scream, which is kind of weird. I'm not a fan of this new weird naming convention where they're doing a movie that is technically a sequel of a previous film that has the same name, but I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. They did it with The Thing, Mm -hmm. and then they did it with Halloween recently, Mm -hmm. which I feel is weird because then you have to specify a year. Yeah. And it's a lot easier if I don't have to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Most people don't walk around talking about the vintage of a film. No, that's oh, true. Oh, you're talking about the 1936. Yes, that fine year for vampire movies. Mm, the 79 Halloween. What an excellent vintage. Mm, nice bouquet on that Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> Very earthy sense. Yeah, that's fair. So we have talked about the other films in the franchise previously. Mm-hmm. I think we... What was that? Way back in season one? Something like that. Yeah, I I believe so. Yeah. So we're not going to go into those uh, a ton. Uh, We may touch on it here and there just because when it comes to meta films, they we were talking about this earlier today a little bit where I feel like with some films, particularly films like this, you could probably watch them and find them entertaining if you're not really a big horror fan. Mm hmm. But it's definitely, there's little nuances and references and in-jokes that you won't get unless you have more of a wider understanding of the horror genre. Yeah, in, in general. Uh, it, it takes on a different dimension. I, I, feel, I feel like it, uh, it's a completely different ride. Mm-hmm. I do want to say we will be discussing, normally we cover stuff that where we'll go into like, spoilers and the ending and things like that but we normally aren't doing something that came out the same year that we're you know recording Mm -hmm. so if you have not seen the new scream movie and you don't want anything spoiled for you then maybe go watch it and come back and listen to this later if you don't care either way then fair enough yeah or you can be chaotic like me and people are like oh i don't want to spoil it i'm like spoil away i'm still gonna go on the ride that's fair. I mean, you know, I can see there's a loop on the roller coaster. It doesn't mean I've I felt it. You know, that that's how I am with it. But I know a lot of people are like, well, now I can't watch the movie because someone told, you know, one detail that's just ruined it for me. I will say it does. I feel like I kind of agree with it. Kind of um, the experience is different. Yeah. If you know the twist, it's kind of like I've never seen the usual suspects, but I know who Kaiser Sose is. It's one of those things where you get movies that have a big twist like that that become part of the zeitgeist. Yeah. And so even if you weren't like, I was not old enough to watch The Usable Suspects when it came out. Mm -hmm. But now that I am, I don't really even feel like I want to because what's the point? Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess if there's if there's a surprise or it's like, oh, you know, it's a whodunit type thing. Which, in a way, the Scream series is a, mm-hmm. a, a series of whodunits. Yeah. Usually, within 30 to 40 minutes into the film, you've met the killers. You may not know that you've met them, but you have. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I don't know. We'll get into it. I'm, I'm still chaotic, though. I, I generally don't mind spoilers, but I am considerate of those who don't want it ruined for them. Thank you. I appreciate that, because I'm one of those people that if I can avoid finding out ahead of time, I will. So let's get into Scream 5, is what I'm just going to call it going forward. Scream 2022, a.k.a. Scream 5, a.k.a. Scream, but not that one, the other one. Yeah, basically. This is, of course, the first Scream movie not to be directed by Wes Craven. Sadly, Wes Craven passed away a few years ago. Mm -hmm. 
I know a lot of people were upset that they were making another Scream movie without him. I was one of them. I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. I feel like this movie does. It has a lot of the spirit. It feels very much like the older ones. Mm -hmm. I feel. So directed by Matt Badinelli Olpin and Tyler Gallette. Screenplay by James Vanderbilt and Guy Busick. We have several people coming back, obviously, because that's just how Scream works. So Nev Campbell's back as Sidney Prescott. Courtney Cox is back as Gail Weathers. And David Arquette is back as Dewey Riley. Mm -hmm. Uh, We we also have a returning from Scream 4. We also, yes. uh, She's further down on my list. I should have moved her up. Uh, Marley Shelton. Mm-hmm. is back she was a deputy hicks in the fourth one she's now a sheriff judy hicks she's previously been mentioned on the show also as being in the grindhouse mm-hmm. tarantino rodriguez grindhouse film she was also in valentine which we discussed right and uh skeet ulrich reprises his role as billy loomis which will make sense as we're talking about yeah. the film so then we've got our newbies uh so we have melissa barrera as sam carpenter she was vanessa in in the heights mm-hmm. i don't know if you recognized her at all yeah uh, Jenna Ortega is her sister, Tara Carpenter. She was Phoebe in The Babysitter Killer Queen. She's also playing Wednesday Adams in the live action Wednesday Adams show that someone decided we all needed. Hmm. Jack Quaid is Richie Kirsch. I, I went to his IMDb page today and in the known for, I assumed it would say Huey from the boys. Yeah, it did not. <laughs> Of course not. It was like this movie and two of the Hunger Games movies and Logan Lucky. And that was it. (laughs) And I even forgot this kid was in the Hunger Games. So. So did I. I was like, wait a minute. The Hunger Games? Mm -hmm. Mickey Madison is Amber Freeman. She was Sadie in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Jasmine Savoy Brown is Mindy Meeks Martin. She is uh, the teenage version of Taza on Yellow Jackets. Okay. She's done video game voice work. One of the voice works she's done is as uh, Abby Superspech, mm-hmm. who is uh, Grace and Spech's daughter from Wolfenstein, Young the Blood. New Colossus. Yeah, she does the voice in Youngblood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mason Gooding is Chad Meeks Martin. He is Andrew on Love, Victor. Okay. Uh, Sonia Amar is Liv McKenzie. I couldn't really find anything she'd been in other than like two or three music videos other than this. Okay. Dylan Minnette is Wes Hicks. He was, the thing I think a lot of people will recognize him from is uh, he was Clay on 13 Reasons Why. That's where his face was bothering me from. That's why, <laughs> one of those. Well, just one of those, like, I know I've seen you, but I'm not going to bother looking you up because if it's not jumping out at me, I'm whatever. Yeah, he's been in other stuff too, but that's, I think, like yeah. the big thing people will know him from. Other than uh, he was in Don't Breathe. Okay. Which we haven't seen yet anyway, right. so it doesn't matter. And then we have uh, Kyle Gallner as Vince. Wait, that was Kyle Gallner? Yeah. No. I know. No. Yup. From, <laughs> from The Cleansing Hour and The Nightmare on Elm Street remake and of various other horror properties. And Veronica Mars. Yes. Because he was Cassidy Casablancas. Yes, he was Cassidy Casablancas. Sorry. I Look, I, I, am, know, I, I am, am, aside from Camp Rock, I am also a marshmallow. I, I am Veronica Mars fan through and through, so. I look. You're, you're, the fandoms you choose to be a part of, I think are just adorable because it's like horror and various like bands and composers. And then there's Camp Rock and Veronica Mars. Well, and like Tina Guo and, you know, various, look, I, I like to think of myself as well-rounded, not just my stomach, but like the rest of me is (laughs) well-rounded too, you know? That is true. I like to be able to talk music with your with your folks, you know, and and so I may not necessarily bring up, you know, the the latest release from Bandmade because they're like I I don't think that's anywhere on their radar. You might to my dad. I think he would at least find it interesting. He would at least listen to it. Uh, I may have to pick out a few tracks for him to check out. Yeah, he would at least give it a shot because that's what he did with me and uh, Fallout Boy. I think it was he decided Fallout Boy was too fast. Mm, yeah, he's has me listening to a tool, uh, tool album right now. So yeah, me too. So let's get into it. Um, so the last Scream movie we had was in 2011. Mm-hmm. And it was once again, Sydney Prescott coming back to Woodsboro and dealing with all the ghost face bullshit. But we kind of get a new a new through line with this mm-hmm. with this film. Because Sydney's barely in this one. Mm-hmm. 
that's one thing I will say is it feels like Nev Campbell is essentially a glorified cameo because I feel like she doesn't really get a chance to do a whole lot. But I feel like it, by glorified cameo, I, I don't want anybody to say that she doesn't do like sh- she's useless in it. She she does what she she needs to do. Right. But she's not the prevalent flavor. She's no. not the prevalent spice. She's not a main character. She's like she's barely in it. Yeah. And it, if nothing else, it's more of a passing of the torch. It really is. It is much more Sam's story. Oh, yeah. We get her. She doesn't lo- She no longer lives in Woodsboro. She left when she was 18, which was like five years previous to the start mm-hmm. of the movie. And you find this out fairly early that um, she is the illegitimate daughter of Billy Loomis, mm-hmm. which I had to do some quick math on because I was like, wait a second. How does that <laughs> math work? Yeah, I made a note that you had to do math. I did. And I don't like what? Well, OK, it was basic addition. I'm, I may not be great at math, but I can add. Fair. But no, I had to be like, okay, if the first one took place in 1996, and she's she found out she when she was 13, she left when she was 18, and now it's five years later. I was like doing all this, like trying to figure out like when her mom could have had her. But the thing I had to also remember is that while this movie didn't come out until 2022, it was filmed in the in the fall of 2020. Yeah. So the math does work if you go by it being... If you assume that that's when it takes place. Exactly. So she comes back to Woodsboro because there's a new ghost face, because of course there is, and he attacks her sister. Mm -hmm. And it's very much the whole... It's a lot of character manipulation, Mm -hmm. but it's not... There's a line from... from, uh, I don't remember which Saw movie it is. I want to say it's four. Mm, I know where you're going, yeah. where, Where... um, Hoffman is asking John, well, how do you know what they're going to do? How do you know what these people, these people are going to do what you think they're going to do? And he says, if you're good at anticipating the human mind, it leaves nothing to chance. Mm-hmm. And that is very much how this movie operates. You've got your killers who are manipulating the rest of the characters in fairly simple ways yeah. based on, well, if I do this, if I do A, then B is going to happen and that's going to lead to C. Yeah, there, there's very few times where it's, well, if this doesn't, there aren't a lot of if this doesn't happen, it's a lot of this will happen. Yeah, this will happen. And if it doesn't, I have a really quick fix to change it to something else. That's well, the joy of having multiple killers is everybody gets plausible deniability and everybody gets a chance to look like a victim and everybody gets a chance to look like a hero. And I, I do love people. Keep, people in this movie kept saying, oh, there's two killers. Of course, there's two killers. And I'm like, yeah, there always is, except for the literal one time where there wasn't. Yeah. There was one time where there wasn't two killers working in tandem. That was in what, L.A.? That was in L.A. That was Roman Bridger. Yeah. Glad you remembered his name. I almost said Nash Bridges, and that's a totally wrong thing. No, I know nobody else really likes the third movie. I like it. I'll have to watch it again, but it it just took me out of the whole story. No, I get it. It felt so disconnected, and it, it felt like a third sequel is what it felt like. It, it felt like a, well, let's try this. Well, it, we're not here to discuss those. We've yeah. discussed those before. Fair. Anyway, so I I do appreciate they, they give this whole breakdown because, of course, we've got these. If anybody was, you know, really if peeped their ears when I said two of the characters names, their last names are Meeks Martin. Mm-hmm. It's because Mindy and Chad are Randy's niece and nephew. Yep. So Chad is the, you know, jockey type. But Mindy is definitely like... She's like Randy 2.0. Actually, 3.0, because I would consider Kirby from 4 to be Randy 2.0. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, (laughs) but I love she goes into this whole thing about uh, what she calls a requel. Which which actually, her explanation actually makes total sense. It does. It makes total sense. And it goes into a lot of what we're getting with other films now, particularly the newer Halloween films. Of the explanation of you want to make a new movie, but you can't reboot it because that's not going to work, especially if it's a beloved franchise. And you also can't just make another bog standard sequel because fans of the original series aren't going to like that either. Right, because either the through line is run out or there's no direction. There's nowhere to go. The sequel, the series is painted into a corner. So what you got to do is a requel. Precisely. Like there's some stuff with the continuity where you're just like, I don't fucking know. And again, Halloween is a great example of that. There's like four fucking continuities that should at this point. I'm waiting for Halloween to blend into the MCU and just say multiverse. Wow. I mean, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Who knows? 
it's a it's a very much if this then that mm-hmm. chart of which movies to watch when yeah are they related no then watch this one did she die yes okay then watch these it it's very weird so we've got all these what they call legacy characters that are connected to the original characters in some way so you've got randy's niece and nephew Dewey and Gale and Sydney are all, all end up coming back, of course. Right, because it's happening again. And right. the, whole, the whole thing with the requel is actually pretty brilliant. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I've seen it even outside of horror. You know, folks starting to do that. We don't need a fifth retelling of an origin story for a superhero or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, so you've got these, like you said, these legacy characters coming back and ultimately passing a torch yeah. to this new group that's going to lead the way forward. Yeah. Because then there's this creepy Vince yeah. guy who gets a really quick, like, artery stab. Yeah, just a like, little, little kind of like a poke in the ear. It did, but it was, like, definitely to the artery that... What's the artery that's in your neck? Uh, carotid? carotid? We, we both said it at the same time, so it must be right. I'm going to assume it's the carotid. If we're wrong, my mom will tell me. Anyway, uh, I need to, apparently I need to watch more 911. Anyway. But it turns out he is uh, Stu's nephew. And then we've got... Yeah. Oh, it's the, it is the carotid? Hell yeah. I'm so smart. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, I love we got all these legacy characters that are somehow connected. Mm-hmm. I love when they go to Mindy and Chad's house. There's the Randy Meeks home the- Memorial Home Theater. Yes. I yes. love that. That's so adorable. I know where I've seen this thing done before. What? Borderlands series. The Borderlands video game series. The characters that you played in the last game are now supporting mission givers in the next game. That's true. Although I feel like that's a why that's a trend that's been part of video games for a while. It's just recently started to come into films. More. Yeah, but I mean it it felt that way, you know, in a way. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I want to sidetrack real quick and talk about hospitals in horror movies. <laughs> Once again, we'll revisit how are how is this hospital? Look, okay, I know this. I this is not the jobs Tia has had show, but I have worked in a hospital. Not only have I worked in a hospital, but my parents have worked in hospitals since I was like nine. So I have a couple of gripes about this hospital that there that Tara ends up because the beginning of the film, Tara ends up getting attacked, but not killed, but not killed. Uh, and so she's in this hospital and we go back to it a couple of times. Mm-hmm. So in horror movies, why are hospitals always so empty? Mm. It doesn't seem to matter what time of day it is. There's barely anyone there. There, I don't see hardly any doctors. I see maybe one nurse during the, I think it's the third time they go back to the hospital when Tara's trying to get away from Ghostface. I have never seen a patient floor that empty. Yeah. Especially during a power outage. Shit, the empty man had a he- he- more heavily staffed hospital than, than this. Right. Two people. The only parts of a hospital that I have ever seen that empty, it was at midnight and it was down in the basement where the, my telecom office used to be, mm-hmm. which was by the laundry room and the morgue. Okay. I maybe saw one other person when I was leaving work at midnight. Maybe. Wait a minute. The laundry room is right next to the morgue? It's in the same Is that where the ghosts get the sheets? I don't think so. Maybe. Sorry. I I always wondered why ghosts always look like sheets, and now you just made it make sense for me. So I'm just going to believe that's where ghosts get sheets. You're welcome, I guess. So people can see them mooping around. Anyway. My other thing is that break room that she's hanging out in. That's a nice break room. I've never... I've been in a lot of hospitals. I've never seen a hospital break room that nice. Mm. There's no way. Plus, if it's a break room for staff, why are patients and their families in there? Yeah, I would say I don't it, think that's a thing. Like it looks like a break room but is treated more like a lounge. Like a lounge commissary kind of area. Yeah, you know, some vending machines and some yeah. tables you can sit there and eat your bag of expired sun chips. Yeah. So my last thing about hospitals, this is very specific to this film. So Tara is still in the hospital. And she can't really hear anybody. So she's she calls hello. Did you see her even attempt to use the call button to get a nurse to come down to the room? I did not. And why leave your room? Especially if I mean, she's been stabbed through the hand. So that fucking hurts. She broke her leg. So she's in a like a boot. Yeah. 
Why leave your room when your phone is right there? Why not hobble over to the door real quick, close it, lock it, and then use your phone to call somebody Hmm. and be like, what the fuck is going on? Sort of a shelter in place rather than roam in the open in the dark and precisely i feel like in a she vulnerable did, way i feel like she did things in a very um in a very scripty way if that makes any kind of sense hmm. like it it has to be this way because we're telling a story this isn't what somebody would actually do because it doesn't make sense to do this yeah that kind of deal you know what i mean yeah i i, I get that <laughs> I, I do appreciate though right before she disconnected herself from everything flawlessly uh-huh um, which also usually doesn't always happen. Right. Is you could actually hear her heart rate elevating a little bit because she heard something and you can actually hear the pace kind of tick up. On the EKG? Yeah. Nice. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. That's it, nice. Uh, not like so much, not comically so, but it was like pretty calm and steady. And then there's an uptick and she's like, hello. And she's like looking around. And this is before even the, the power goes out. Mm-hmm. And she's like calling out and she's not hearing anything. Yeah. And you can hear just like if you were a little worried, a little nervous, a little concerned. Yeah. I'm glad they didn't carry it on to where it was like, you know, very early 2000s, build it till it's in your face sort of thing. Mm -hmm. That is one thing I will say about Sam and Tara is they're fucking badasses. Yeah. Like during the opening attack scene, I can't call it a kill scene because this is the first Scream movie that technically doesn't have an opening kill scene. Yeah. But she's getting the absolute shit kicked out of her, and she does not stop fighting, which I super appreciate. Yeah, I I even made a note that uh, she put up an excellent fight, and that was before I even realized she was going to live. I'm like, i got to say, she's put up the greatest fight, but the Mm -hmm. fact that she lived already had my wheels spinning on my head. I'm like, wait a minute, she didn't die. Yeah. And so my brain went, she's bait. Well, I'm curious if it's a she didn't die because they didn't kill her on purpose, to bring Sam back to Woodsboro, or if it was, uh, well, if we kill her, great. If we don't, it'll still accomplish our goals. I would imagine, based on the killers, the goal would be to harm, not kill. Unless mm-hmm. unless the ultimate goal would be to kill her eventually. It seemed like that was where they were heading. Like, they were going to do it eventually. But then why later in the closet? I don't know. I don't know. Why do psychopaths do anything? What? My brain's scrambling trying to do close to you, but with with like, why do killers lurk <laughs> in the dark every time Wait. when you park? Just like me, they want to be stabbing you. Why does Ghostface suddenly appear anytime Sydney's here? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyway, moving on. One of my favorite sequences is... Um, Judy, Deputy Judy from the fourth movie is now sheriff because Mm -hmm. the town basically forced Dewey to retire. And we we get this scene at her house. Wes is the one who's like very careful and is telling his friends, you know, be smart, be safe, have a taser, have pepper spray, you know, be careful. And uh, he comes home, it looks like from a run and is going to go take a shower. She's going to go grab food. And I love that there are three separate music crescendos of like suspenseful music crescendo and then nothing happens yeah like that usually would be a a door reveal or a mirror reveal or a a hallway you know light click oh there they are nothing he opens the door when the as the music is crescendoing you expect someone to be there there isn't closes this door nobody's there closes this door nobody's there and i'm just like come it do something stop this (laughs) See, I'm so attuned to those cues anyway. Yeah. That's why usually I don't jump in a jump scare because the music usually tells you when there's going to be one. Yeah. And I'm like, they already called out the whole jump scare things at the very beginning Mm -hmm. when Tara's having her conversation with Ghostface uh, talking about, you know, how... The difference between elevated horror and slashers. Yeah, she says uh, slashers are schlocky B-horror with wall-to-wall jump scares. So we get a, a prolonged scene with wall-to-wall builds but no no jump scare and i'm like that actually feels better to me I yeah like it's it was as fair i i loved it but at the same time i was like come on it, it's where's it's, my payoff it kind of feels like going up you know like if you're on a roller coaster like going up and you're like oh 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 we're going up but then you get like these rapid succession you know short up and downs yeah and then you go around a hill and then all of a sudden you're almost pulled vertically and you're on this like 
tall climb and you're like, oh, oh, we're that was nothing. Here we go on the on the big run. Mm-hmm. You know, so it I don't know. It it was fun for me. Yeah, I like that. I will say one thing I was going to question was the contents of the Hicks's freezer. Uh, but then I remembered who I'm married to. And I was like, never mind. It's fine. What? Uh, there were four pints of ice cream, two boxes of Choco Tacos. Aw, Choco Taco. I, what's wrong with Choco Tacos? Oh, they're gone for good. <gasps> no! Yeah, no. like last week. Yeah. What? Yeah. But they taco- will never be made again. But Choco Tacos are so good. Uh, but I wonder if my sister knows that was her favorite when we were kids. Well, she doesn't yet. She will soon. Well, she doesn't listen to the show, so I don't know how she will, unless mom tells her. Exactly. Oh, that's fair. See? Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, it was uh, a very stuffed freezer, and there was lots of ice cream, and I was mm-hmm. like, there is currently three pints of chocolate peanut butter ice cream in our freezer, because my husband is not a quitter. <laughs> well, here's the thing. If I'm going to get two pints of ice cream, I'm going to get three. Because I'm also expecting there's a good possibility I have one tonight. In which case, if I buy only two, that means I only have one later. That is correct. I, I shop for tonight and laters. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are two se- separate shoppings. You know, if we're getting cheesy breadsticks, it's like, well, are we having some tonight? Then they, why are we only getting two? We're getting an extra bag. Yeah. Yeah. See it. it I, have we ever told the public that you take the lid off of a pint of ice cream and throw it away? We have now. <laughs> Look. I have a thing of mango sorbet that I bought three months ago that I've eaten off of twice. It'll probably end up eventually being just thrown away. I do, it'll I get do not understand burned. that. I, I, I do not. I put a serving into a bowl and I eat that. I do the same thing with chips. I don't bring the whole bag of chips to my chair. Serving size, one pint. I don't think that's what it says. Okay. I, I do <laughs> not go by, by like government guidelines of what a serving size is. What I do is I, I look at an amount of food of any food stuff. <laughs> well, serving sizes are objective anyway. Right. But, you know, there's still serving sizes printed on U.S. packaging and probably in other countries, too. So what I do is, let's say we'll, we'll just go with a pint of ice cream. If I eat half or a third of a pint of ice cream and I come back to it a following day and I've had a shitty day and I want a pint of ice cream, will I feel fulfilled by that partial pint of ice cream? No, I will not. You know, it's like fun size candy bars. There's nothing fun about that size unless you have a bag of those fun size and then you can, you know, change it up. But that, that's just enough to piss you off is what it is. That's fair. It's just enough to make you go, now I got to go buy a candy bar. Now that I got taste for it. Yeah, that's fair. So I, there is one particular part of this movie that I was devastated. Well, yeah, I expected that. I have my uh, emotional reaction here, too. I wrote it down. So there are three characters that make it through every single screen movie, and they always have regardless of what happens to them. Dewey alone has been stabbed nine fucking times at this point. Mm-hmm. Before before the movie even started. Yeah, before the he's been stabbed nine times, he's got nerve damage and a limp, and it's just a lot that he's had to deal with. Gail's been shot at least twice. Sydney's been strangled and, and stabbed and all kinds of shit. So in this particular film, when um, he and Sam get to the hospital to rescue, I, I have to struggle not to call him Huey, Richie, <laughs> Richie, yeah, to rescue Richie and Tara from Ghostface, he gets them on the elevator and then he goes back because he's like, I have to shoot him in the head. Otherwise, they come back. And I love it. Sam's like, who gives a fuck? And he's like, I do. Mm-hmm. I do question why he had to get so close. <laughs> why did he have to get within stabbing range? But he does, and he gets stabbed in the front and in the back, because they have multiple knives. And then he's laying there on the ground, and he's covered in blood, and I'm like, okay, but he's going to be fine. Because he's always fine. (laughs) And much like him, you were gutted. He's always fine. And then (laughs) we see, I see a person wearing an outfit that says coroner, with, with a... With a gurney that's covered up. And I out loud said, but he's always fine. And I just started crying. <laughs> yeah. Like, fuck this movie for making me sob about a fictional character. But honestly, at this point, this character has been part of my life longer than some friends I've had. Mm. So, like, it was devastating. It was like losing a friend. I wrote down my emotions on this. Go for it. 
Sad for Dewey, but they're almost to a fresh start. What do you mean, almost to a fresh start? Once you eliminate all of the legacy characters, then then you've basically got your own ride. That's fair. And he's the only carbuncle that was stuck to the town itself, because Sydney's Elsewhere. Elsewhere. Apparently married to Detective Mark Kincaid from the third movie, and they have three kids. I don't know where the... That was a surprise to me. Gail's in New York Mm -hmm. with her own show. So yeah, Dewey was the only one still living in Woodsboro. Yeah. As far as like OG since the beginning characters. I I will say I I love the evolution of Sydney's attitude towards things, because in this movie at one point she's asked... If she has a gun. Yeah, Dewey says, do you have a gun? She says, I'm Sydney fucking Prescott. Of course I have a gun. Yeah, they have guns, but neither of them has any bul- has a bulletproof vest. Well. I'm sorry, Gail's been shot at least twice. If I'm going, if I'm going to a situation where there's a possibility that I could be shot again, I'm wearing a bulletproof vest. I don't care how uncomfortable it is. If I could be shot again, because she's already, she's been gut shot a couple times. Mm-hmm. And then she gets shot in the gut again. It's like, you know what would have helped you not get gut shot again? A vest. Or at least a bulletproof cummerbund or something. Something. Fanny I pack. I don't know. Uh, my favorite character overall has to be Mindy. Mm-hmm. She's basically the daughter we would have mm-hmm. if we had kids. Although I will say no daughter of ours would ever watch TV with their back facing several open doorways. Yeah, no. That is not a... Absolutely not. Clear view of an entrance or exit. Yup, absolutely. No one will ever sneak up on me while I'm watching TV because every chair, like every TV setup I've ever made for myself, the chair, the back is to the wall. Yeah. The only time that wasn't the case is when I still live with my parents... This is before my sister moved out and I had like a downstairs living room area and I had Mm -hmm. a futon and because of how everything was set up, the back of the futon was to like the stairs and everything. So there were several instances where I would have my headphones in and be watching something and mom would come down and touch my shoulder and scare the absolute shit out of me. Well, and as as stealthy as people have accused me of being, uh, you wouldn't want me to be able to walk by and... Mm-mm. startle you i mean you don't even hear me get up from the recliner and i walk to the kitchen you think i teleported or something i swear to god you do <laughs> which is funny because when you mention it i don't remember getting up or walking to the kitchen but it i mean who's going to remember a 15 foot walk i don't know there is a line that slightly bothers me mm. and i guess it's just because i am a fan of the franchise as a whole and very briefly going back to the third film one of the things I really liked about it is this whole idea that the events of the first film were initially set up by Roman Bridger because he filmed mm. Maureen having an affair with Billy's dad and then showed Billy the tape. And that's what started Billy on his whole deal. Right. You know, murdering Maureen, framing Cotton Weary, and then later, you know, doing the whole thing he and Stu did. So... Sydney and Gail are tracking the car that Tara and Sam are in because they mm-hmm. Tara's Sam has said, fuck this shit. We're leaving town. Yeah. Richie's on board driving out of town. Yeah. And Sid puts a tracker on her car because Obviously. she needs to know where she is because this is all about them. And it's going to follow them wherever they go. Precisely. And Gail starts to have this very brief pity party. Of, oh, if I had never written about your mother and if I had never done this, this would never have happened. And Sydney says, Billy Loomis started this. And I'm like, no, he did not. Like, I will not stand for this Roman Bridger erasure. Mm. He is as much a part of the franchise as anybody else. So please do not discount his contributions. Fair. It very much bothers me. In a way, though, I I can understand Sydney's comment in character of to her and her experience from the start chronologically. Mm hmm. The things that impacted her were was Billy Loomis. That's well, yeah. She didn't know about the Roman shit until two movies later. Right. I just I don't know. It's kind of like if you find out 30, 40 years into life that you're related to somebody that you didn't know about. So it never shaped your life until now. And now you're like questioning everything. Then you're like, it did start with that person you just learned about. It started with how you were brought up. That's fair. So that's the only way I'm trying to just rescue it and justify it in a way. No, I get it. I get it. I do. 
I love the fact that one of the other legacy characters is not a person, but a house. Yes. Because when uh, Tara is asthmatic and when they're going out of town, she can't find her rescue inhaler. And so they have to stop at her friend Amber's to get her backup. I'm not sure why she has a backup at her friend's house. I think they were more than friends. See, I thought I always... I I shipped them immediately. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, the way that her... A best friend doesn't guard dog like like a girlfriend does. And she was guard dogging at the hospital hard. That's fair. So maybe, yeah, maybe there was something more to that. And every time the two were in the room, anything that got in between them vibe wise Mm -hmm. was immediately caustically attacked by Amber. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Uh, But yeah, it turns out Amber, um, Amber lives at Stu Mocker's old house, which I... I clocked it before they even said it because there's this one part where Chad goes outside and I saw the white picket fence mm-hmm. and I'm like, I know that fence. Yeah, I've seen that can, fence before. You can get that fence anywhere. though. No, it was the way the the landscape. and the, mm-hmm. I'm like, I know that fence. Until I saw like the foyer and the stairs. Mm-hmm. Then I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, shit. So I caught it about 10 seconds after you did. But yeah. So do we want to get into the uh, the finale? I want to mention a couple things before we jump into the finale. Go for if it. If I can. Absolutely. Um, first of all, who the hell calls a house? Like a house phone, not a cell phone, a house phone at 9.23 p.m.? I was surprised that they even had a landline. Because I said, frankly, someone better be dead or dying, which, I mean, if someone wants to play a game, then yeah. Yeah. Um, I was taken aback by some of the horror gatekeeping commentary that went in there, but I was pleased to see some of it shut down. Uh, I was I want to address that more. Okay. In our in our wrap up, I also was assessing pr- pretty much everybody I met in the first twenty minutes of the movie. I was assessing whether or not they were a killer. Oh, of course. so like so like I I've got like, please don't let it be Richie. Sam I like. <laughs> Chad is sus. Vince is a false flag. I picked Blonde Kid West. Son of a Cop is a classic. Yeah. Amber's a bit overbearing, but I get it. The love is strong. Ah, Richie is adorable. Please don't be a creep later. Uh, Let's see. Billy's Kid, maybe? Called that one. Boyfriend Richie says I love you, not a good omen. Let's see. I like the line that real stab movies are meta slasher whodunits. And I know that was a bit gatekeepy, but I also wanted to point out that those are fun movies. Like any horror, like horror slashers where it's a whodunit. So that kind of delves not into just slashers in general, but look at a lot of giallo films and things like that. Mm-hmm. There's a mystery behind it where you're like, who the hell is that? So, I mean, there's a pedigree to the whole whodunit murder slasher thing, because it's one thing like you got your Jasons and your Freddies and your Michael Myers and stuff where it's like, you know who the killer is. It's 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 a known quantity coming for you. But when you don't know who the killer is, nobody is safe. Right. Um, and I find that kind of fun. Um I feel kind of bad about this. Look, Deputy Judy, Sheriff Judy, whatever. The actress, I like her just fine. It's just flavor from the last film and into this film and her attitude. I didn't like her. I typed the words, kill Judy, period. Please, period. She's dead in three minutes. From the Like t- three minutes from when he said he, like, he wrote that. Like, I, I just held it up to Tia in my notes. And, like, minutes later... Also, I noticed Wes put out sriracha and soy for their sushi night. Mm-hmm. Um, I've personally never had sriracha with sushi. It's not a traditional thing, but I'm not going to knock it till I try it. Well, I know that she was. She also ordered um, like a bunch of edamame. Yeah, but that's not really. And right. well, so maybe she ordered something else that's part of their normal order that we didn't hear. Possibly that. Like, because let's say you get some seaweed salad with your sushi do you, and you want to spice it up a bit. Would you add sriracha? No. No? No. What would you add? In my in my, in my my personal opinion, it mm-hmm. doesn't go with Japanese flavors because Jap- Japanese flavors tend to be clean. They're there, they're present, they're gone rather oh. than lingering flavors and sriracha can linger. That's so fair. it would. I mean, I love sriracha. I put it on everything. I've put it on ice cream just to try it. It's, it's true. It's okay. You um, put it on peanut butter crackers. Oh, that's delightful. That's one of my favorite snacks at work. Sriracha with peanut butter crackers. Ooh, mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, I don't know. It, I, if I wanted to spice that up, I'd probably throw togarashi on it because then it would add heat without necessarily adding like the garlic and everything else 
around it and okay that's fair different profile that's fair that actually makes sense when you explain it that way but that's not to say i won't try i will try it here's the americans put a lot of weird stuff on their sushi yes i've i've realized this i mean you've called me out for my sushi choices sometimes i i do my best to not food shame you but yeah sometimes look sometimes you just want a california roll well maybe in a few months we'll discuss that more what do you mean, maybe in a few months we'll discuss that more? We're not going to Japan in a few months. No, 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 no. I said, let's go to Japan the year I turned 40, and you said that was too soon. I mean, we'll Planning-wise. Anyway, okay, so can we get in the finale, or do you have more stuff? Oh. oh, oh and how often we sidetrack into food. We need to start doing our food podcast. I agree. That's what I mean, in, in the next <laughs> few months. Um, oh, oh, yeah. The other thing I wanted to bring up was um, I was happy to see on a couple occasions... James A. Janice and Chelsea Rebecca. Yes. It was so, so nice cute. to see. Just, just basically playing versions of themselves. Yeah. Cause they were showing a variation on their, their podcast show that they have. Yeah. Where they, where they talk about horror films and, and interview people like it's, it's good stuff. Yeah. Um, it, it was just neat to see them. I want to be James and Chelsea when we grow up. I want to be us when we grow up, but I want to have their clout. Not, yeah, that. It, it, not their clout. I don't want to steal their clout. I want equivalent clout. I would like a seat at the table. We would have to move to California or a, or an equivalent. Why? Not a whole lot of horror premieres and cons being done in mid-Missouri. Fair. <laughs> but we could bring them. We could try. We could be the draw. I think you're overestimating how popular we truly are. Maybe. But I still have faith in us. Okay. Good for you. All right. Is it finale time yet? Yeah, the last of my notes are like, where the fuck is, where the fuck is Liv been? Where's Richie? So yeah, I've I've just like I I just started asking questions. Wait, this person was just here. Where the hell did they go? Where they go? Yeah. Like I mean, how did all this shit happen and this person not appear? So yeah, that's that's all I have. I just wanted to hit some. I wanted to hit some of the crunchy bits before before we hit the finale. No, I got it. My overall message before we get super into it is uh, several times in this film, people are using a knife. As a self-defense tool. In a very inefficient way. In, yes, in a very inefficient way. The way people typically hold a knife with the point of the blade out, like towards the person, like an extension of their arm, is not really effective for self-defense. Well, at, at least, yes and no. Yes and no. Uh, as far as like the various combat knife stuff I've, I've seen and experienced, you can have it po- out, outward pointing. Mm-hmm. But the way they're holding it, where they're just holding the handle with their hand ha- wrapped around the handle and there's no support of the blade or anything else. Yeah. Where basically they're attached to the handle and the knife, the the work part of the blade is a separate entity. So you hit their hand with a stick, the knife falls out of their hand. Not to mention the fact there's less like wrist control that you have when you're holding it that way. Right. Now, had had they kind of choked up on, on the knife, you know, basically... If they had basic culinary knife skills. And or you they, use a finger on the back of the blade to and, have more control. And had had basically choked up on, on the handle. Mm-hmm. And they'd be able to guide and control. And it would be an extension of their hand or their arm. Or they could, you know, reverse the grip and have it, you know, uh, with their... When the know, back of the blade is against their forearm. Right. Kind of like how uh, Winter Soldier does. Yes, kind of like how Winter Soldier does. That's the easiest reference that most people will know. If you watch the highway fight in Captain America Winter Soldier. Yeah, it, it's a standard combat knife grip. Um, again, I'm not like certified in combat knife fighting, but uh, I've I spent plenty of years practicing it on my own because teenager in Vermont's got to do something, you know, in the woods. Yeah. So, so yeah, that that sort of grip. You know, it's relatively comfortable. It's you don't have to hold on to it like you're you're holding on for your life. It's it's something that you can have a lot more flexibility. You can even, you know, if you really want to be fancy, you can flip your grip around a lot easier from that angle because you've got this rotary motion. Right. Um, whereas if you're holding it out like it's a like it's a wand, like a magic, gonna, yeah, I feel like you're Harry Potter or some shit. You know if. If you're going to hold it out like a magic wand and kind of wiggle it around at people, then that's great. But you're only asking the tool that you're holding to catch or drag against somebody and give a superficial cut. You're not looking to actually wound, maim, dismember, stab. Not know. to mention, depending on what you do and, and the depending on the knife, it would be very easy when you do your stabbing motion for your hand to slip up 
and cut your fingers on the blade. That's how a lot of knife killers get get caught is because their DNA is all over the place. Exactly, because they cut themselves. Because they don't, they did not, they they don't have proper knife skills. They don't listen to enough true crime podcasts. This is true. Or watch enough true crime shows or all the other things that I do that should be scary but aren't because apparently white women love us some murder shows. (laughs) You know, I... I want to very briefly, in 10 seconds, address the fascination with watching murder shows. It's not morbid, it's preparation. Yeah. It's, it's, ooh, I never thought about watching for that. But be careful, because you're then going to assume every single person that rents a wood chipper for the weekend is getting rid of a body. (laughs) Mm, It's not the most efficient way. No, it is. Well, yeah, no, it's not. So I I have another question when it comes to weaponry, because I'm not familiar with weapons, particularly guns. Okay. So, you know how Wiimotes for the Nintendo Wii, there's like a lanyard, so there's a thing you put around your wrist, so Uh when you're doing the fishing motion or whatever... Or tennis. Or tennis. If your hand slips and you drop it, it's just hanging from your wrist. And it's not going to go through the TV. Right. Do they make those for guns? Like handguns? Because they should. They do? Because these motherfuckers are losing their guns. However. Okay. There's a couple reasons why it wouldn't be practical. For example, police in Japan. Most police in Japan do not carry firearms, but those who do actually have the lanyard uh, attached to their belt. Okay. So that no one can take the gun from them. However, there have been a few instances where someone has, in close quarters, taken the gun from them, turned it on them, and shot them. Yeah, because the... It's just... you. You have to be, like, from you to me, like, you know, two feet. Okay. Because the instance I was thinking of specifically is when Sam has a gun and she and Ghostface, like, tumble over the stairs to mm-hmm. the, the foyer. And she's she loses the gun, of course, because she's, you let go of things when you're falling, typically. What? No, I I, I fell once and scrapped, scraped up the hole in my back and I was carrying mashed potatoes and gravy and I didn't drop a single drop. Okay, that's you. Granted, it was food, too. That's you. Yeah. But the average person, if you're falling from a particular height of 10 feet or so, you're probably going to drop instinctively whatever you're carrying because you're going to want to, you know, use your arms and your hands to brace your fall. Which, granted, you really shouldn't do anyway because you're better off trying to just kind of tuck and roll. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Let's go by a judo aspect of it, but you'd have to like kind of flat slap it. But yeah, yeah. anyway, she's like, Richie, grab the gun, grab the gun. And then it turns out that that's a bad thing because Richie is one of the killers. And so I was just thinking, like, if she had a lanyard attached to the gun, she could still let go of it and like brace her fall. But then boop, right here, guns. I still got my gun because it's on a lanyard on my wrist. I guess you could attach it to the back of the grip like a little little nub. Yeah. As long as it didn't get in the way of things. Exactly. So our killers are Richie and Amber, which I was surprised that it was Amber because she seemed kind of like a nothing character. She was my number one suspect. Well, when I say when I say a nothing character, I mean, she doesn't really have much. She rather expressionless for the most part, I found, Mm -hmm. except when the finale kicks off and then she goes up to a fucking eleven. And there is this very Mickey and Mallory Knox energy that Richie and Amber have. And their whole motivation is their love for the original Stab films. And no one's made a good Stab sequel in years. So we're going to make a good one and it's going to be amazing. And people are going to appreciate it and love us. And which I'm like, okay, that's kind of weird. But whatever. It kind of takes the meta into a whole new meta. It really does. It's not even really necessarily, as far as character motivations in the Scream franchise go, it's it's about par for the course, I would say. Because we've got a couple characters who do it for revenge. We've got a couple that do it to be famous. I, doing it to be famous is typically, that's the go-to, you know? Well, here's the thing. We have plenty in real life that have just done it for notoriety. Right, exactly. So. So one of the other things that we have in this film that we haven't really mentioned is we said Skeet Ulrich reprises his role as Billy Loomis. Well, Billy Loomis is dead and has been dead since the original film. Right. Well, apparently part of Sam's whole being his illegitimate daughter thing is she takes uh, antipsychotics because she sees hallucinations of him. But the weird thing is it's hallucinations of him, how he looked 
Like in the finale? Like in the finale of the first film, which I'm like, how would you know that? I mean, she's seen Stab. That's okay. That's fair. Maybe so. Just and I mean, the the folks from this town look at Stab a little differently than the rest of the world because it's like these are all based on things that have happened to people from here. So right, it's more hometown lore than oh, that's a new movie. But I, it's kind of weird because she's got these hallucinations where it's basically Billy telling her to embrace being his daughter as like some sort of a strong point, like it. I don't, you know what? If it get if it keeps her alive at the moment, great. I do. Well, I've added a new rule: never fuck with the daughter of a serial killer. And then she stabs the ever loving shit out of Richie. I uh, I was trying to think of any horror movie that I have seen where someone just fucking goes to town on somebody like that. Because yeah, he, he got stabbed through the cheeks. She stabs him through the cheeks. Which that was a great effect. And she gets on top of him and it's just like. Over and over and over again. And she's just she's telegraphing where she's going to stab next and, and just kind of like picking spots like, oh, this area is dry. Going to stab it, here. Blood is is splashing and everything. And I'm like, holy shit. What's nice, though, is then he's still alive. And and he's like whining about, you know, what about my what finale? What about my movie? What about my finale? And she's like, here it comes. And then slices his throat. Uh, that, that was... I told you this, and I, I don't know why, but just the way she said that and then just executed the execution, I was like, okay, that's kind of hot. Not going to lie. Badass women are hot. Badass women are hot. I, I do appreciate the fact, though, that that got kind of, like, set aside where they're like, yeah, that's fine, but you still got to shoot him in the head, otherwise she's going to come back. She, they're like, you still have to... Sh-. Yeah, because Gail and Sydney come in, and they're like, you still have to shoot him. And so she, like... Twice in the chest and once in the head. Yeah. And then Amber, who Gail fucking lit on fire, comes running into the room with a knife. And uh, Tara shoots her. Yeah. And then goes, I still prefer the Babadook. <laughs> and I'm like, bitch, no one said you can't. But There's, uh, we'll get into that. But I have thoughts about this whole elevated horror versus slashers thing. Okay. One of the things I also really enjoy about the ending of this is fucking Gail... The fucking, the audacity of this woman when uh, she's like, oh, I know what I'm going to write about. Not this. I'm not going to write about this. Let them die in anonymity. And I'm like, Gail, sweetie, (laughs) just because you won't write about this doesn't mean no one will. Like, do you not understand how many true crime blogs, podcasts, YouTubers, television shows? I'm like message boards the last two years of like hulu and netflix original content alone is various true crime stories that i had never fucking heard of fair so like get over yourself yeah (laughs) so we are getting a sixth movie yeah mindy and chad survive so they're gonna be back yay sam and tara survive so they're gonna be back yay gail has signed on or gail is gonna be back so because courtney cox has signed on nev campbell hasn't um, I'm okay. Which I'm okay with. I'm really excited for Hay- Hayden Panettiere to come back as Kirby. Yeah. Because Kirby and Mindy are two of my favorite characters. I think it's because I feel like I identify that with them the most. Like, I always really identified with Randy. Yeah. And, and Kirby's kind of a... Kirby and Mindy are the new Randys. They're the spiritual successors, so... Precisely. Overall, I I enjoyed this movie... I'm not going to say, like, I think Wes would have approved and blah, 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 because I did not know the man personally. I would have loved to have had the chance to meet him, but I did not. I do feel like they did the original franchise justice. I'm not mad at it. This was the most fun I've had with a Scream film since the first one. Really? Yeah. Cool. Although I will say the last one was pretty good, too. Four? Yeah, four was good. So I do want to briefly in our wrap up talk about a couple of motifs that the film does bring up. Yeah. So I think we've talked before about the concept of elevated horror, which I'm not I'm not a fan of that term. I feel like horror is horror Mm -hmm. and it kind of goes in the same vein as like gatekeeping and toxic fandoms where people who tend to prefer elevated horror and get into just that 
there seems to be this idea that like, oh, I watch artsy horror films. I don't watch that schlocky slasher garbage. And it's like, well, like, like what you like, but I don't think it makes you better than anybody else because you prefer, you know, hereditary and the Babadook that they, you know, they mentioned and it follows some of the, you know, quote, quote, artsy. I feel like artsy is a better term than elevated because elevated implies a superiority. I'd like to embrace the term conceptual horror because you've got like existential horror. Mm -hmm. Then you've got conceptual horror where it's not quite existential horror. There, there, there are some things that are a little more grounded, but yeah, you don't really realize it until you're like shit. So, yeah. so like, um, like Ari Aster's first two ventures, like Empty Man, like um, Jordan Peele. Yeah, you know his work. The you know Jordan Peele's work, where where you just kind of go, oh wow, and it makes you think. Well, you know what? Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven made me think too. Made me think I'd never thought of using a weed eater to take someone's face off. I mean, but it, but I mean, it's a different type of, of thought and concept. It, I'm going to relate this back to food. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's had foie gras. Not everybody has access to foie gras. You know what everybody has access to? Hamburger. Well, okay, not everybody, but like most people are right. more familiar with that. They don't have to go look up what it is. So sometimes, you know what? A burger and fries is what you're in the mood for. And that's great. If you want to dine on, you know, $500 plate food, go for it. I, foie gras doesn't quite cost that much, but. It's, yeah. it's pricey. It's not something that you would just have as a snack normally for most people. Not in this economy, anyway. Well, and it, there seems to be, within the horror fandom, there seems to be this weird butting of heads between people who prefer, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to keep using the term because that's the only term I have currently. I'll, I'll, I'm trying to come up with another one. People who prefer elevated horror versus people who prefer, like, slashers and stuff. Because you've got... The people who watch, there's, there are people in the horror fandom who prefer elevated horror that see anything that's not that as trash. Or lesser than. Or lesser than. Yeah. And then you've got people in the slasher and classic horror fandom who are like, oh, that's not real horror. And, and. It, it's, it's the same conversation where someone goes, well, that's just a psychological thriller. You know what? Did it scare the shit out of you? Yeah. Guess what? It was horror. It's fine. Well, and that's the thing that really bothers me a lot is you get these existential horror films where it's an actual person doing the thing, but because it gets such a, it, it becomes popular and it gets such a following. And so then people try and stick a new name on it because they don't want to associate it with horror because horror is seen as like a trashy genre. So you know what a, I mean? Oh, it's no, it's, it's not, it's not horror. It's a cerebral dive into the, inner workings of a broken psyche yeah well, so it's a crazed maniac or right. you know it's or it's a you know like part- silence of the lambs people try and claim silence of the lambs isn't horror people try and claim get out isn't horror and i'm like it absolutely is it's just a different flavor and that's why i want to go back to not every horror movie is going to scare you not every most horror movies don't scare me it's a matter of perspective the, the ones that make me jump i sit back and laugh and go wow you got me that was a good one because that's the way I'm wired, okay? It's weird. Yeah. I, I, I see comedy or hear a piece of music I like, I sob uncontrollably. But with horror, I giggle when someone gets me. I'm like, oh, that one tickled. That was good. Well, and there are there are times where I want to watch something that's a little more existential, that makes me think, and that I can have, like, a really intelligent conversation about mm-hmm. afterwards. Sometimes I just want to watch Saw. Yeah. Sometimes I just want to watch Halloween or Friday the 13th. I just want to watch something that doesn't require a ton of effort, but is still good and is still entertaining. And nowadays we get these metaphors where there's like nuances and certain things where, I don't know, it just, it makes being a horror fan more fun. And I've brought her up before, our niece. Yeah. And she is currently not a fan of the, quote, old horror movies. I think the oldest thing she's seen is the original Scream. Oh, good grief. Right. And, but I'm not pressuring her to watch the original Halloween or any of this other stuff because I'm like, okay, she'll get there eventually because she'll have us. Yeah. So I don't have to super worry about like, oh, she doesn't have this framework. She'll get there. Well, and something I've noticed, you know, the more films we devour in our in our search to 
I don't know. I, f- I feel like we're bettering ourselves as horror. F- well, not bettering ourselves, but improving and appreciating more as we delve into some areas we're not as familiar with. We're in, expanding in, our cinematic palettes. And then passing it on to you and saying, hey, check it out. Right. But I, I feel like in doing that, I've also noticed, hey, this is the same theme that we saw in this and that you could also take from this. So if you don't necessarily watch Nightmare on Elm Street 2 because you're like, wow, that one's just, I mean, that's coding everything just one one way. You can also see similar things in in other movies that you will come across. Reminds me of, <laughs> we were watching a top 10 video the other day and someone was talking about uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. And they said the term homosexual subtext. And I'm like, there was no subtext. There was no subtext. What subtext? <laughs> it was just text. <laughs> like, like, like the book from Neverending Story. This one just said, yeah, it's yeah. here. I liked this movie. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Like, this is the first, this is actually the first great movie I want to go back like a couple weeks from now and watch again. We can. I own it. Well, I bought it on Prime Prime. So. Congratulations. Well done. So you can watch um, it whenever you're home. Because I feel like, like, I was frantically writing notes. Like, at one point we were saying, well, maybe it was the dad who left 10 years ago. Maybe he's come back. And maybe it's the mom who's conveniently in London. He's conveniently away on a business trip. And then they were like, oh, I texted my mom where we're going next. I'm like, oh, Tia's got it. It's definitely the mom. And, and then I'm like, no, it's it's not. Oh, damn, it's the boyfriend again. Fuck. But. To well, be fair, it's only been the boyfriend one other time. True. True. Also, mad shout out to some nice lesbian representation. Yeah, so that, okay. There's a weird thing that I've noticed recently in movies and TV shows. I've seen it. So there was this. There is um, America Chavez Mm -hmm. in uh, the new Doctor Strange movie. There is um, a character on this uh, Disney Plus show. But it's a trend I've seen where... So you have a character that is LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. and they're wearing a pin or a patch or a t-shirt or something that is either a rainbow or is their specific pride flag. Hmm. Like there is a, um, you remember Baymax from Big Hero 6? Yes. Okay. So there's a TV show with him now on Disney plus and there is an episode where he has to go to a drugstore to get tampons mm-hmm. for a girl who's just who's had her first period uh-huh. and he asks one of the other people in the aisle for help and then as all these other people start coming in and one of them is a transgender person who's wearing the trans pride flag as a shirt oh cool but then i you've got also like america chavez is wearing a pride pin mm-hmm. mindy and this is wearing a, a rainbow pin and then she is a lesbian i just it's it seems really weird to me to literally label your pride, your LGBTQ plus characters. Like from a visibility standpoint, it's cool. But I feel like if you just wrote the characters better, you wouldn't need to literally label them and be right. like, be like, guess what? This person is trans. This person is a lesbian. This person is bisexual. You wouldn't have to put I, like a, an actual like pin on their shirt. Yeah. Like it's, it's it's not it's not ideal. I, I I feel like there's a shift. I feel like there's a change because I know for the longest time Hollywood in general has used queer characters as as clowns, as foils, as disposable side characters, as all of these other things. Horror in particular has been very bad. Oh about yeah, it. I mean, <laughs> the foundation was built on on things like barrier gays there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like it's kind of that awkward phase, like. Like, like, like talking to a relative who's cool with, with you, but they just don't, you know, they either don't understand your pronouns or they don't want to say the wrong thing. So instead of making someone, you know, overly flamboyant or, or, or do something that, that signposts that you look at any, any queer characters from the eighties or nineties, where it was like, it's absolutely obvious they are coded this way. It's like stere- like hugely in- stereotyped. Instead of instead of doing this coding and baiting, and they're now just saying, "Look, we're not sure what to do yet, so here's a sticker. Just accept it. We're gonna go over here now." Right. It's this very awkward period where they want to be inclusive, but they're not sure how to be inclusive without being offensive. So, 
Which I, is sad because there are shows that manage it. Like, I want to believe that, that this is a shift towards the positive, but what I fear is mm-hmm. when you just assign someone just a a pin or a flag or a label or a banner, then do they, does anybody remember the name anymore? Do they, like, it, it's the same kind of thing where, where you've got characters where their entire story arc is either coming out or being outed or the fact that they are lesbian or gay or trans or bi, you know, or ace or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, it's... If that's their only arc, that's not really that's not representation. If that's, that's the entirety that's, of the character. Then it's then you need to go back and rewrite that character. I do not know a single LGBTQ plus person that that is their entire existence is their is coming out their, story. No, just their sexuality or their gender identity. Oh, yeah. People tend to be more than just one dimension. I mean, that's that's less than a line. That's like one or two words. That's fair. You know, people have dimensions to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at me. I like camp rock and sriracha and horror movies. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I needed no, a soapbox fine. for a minute. You're good. I do it all the time, so it's fine. Yeah, it's fair. Okay. So that is actually going to do it for us this week. Yes. <laughs> where can they find us? Our website, h2horrorcast.com, where there are links to our Facebook and our Twitter. And you can send us emails. And there's other things there also. There's also a link to our Patreon. We are patreon.com slash h2horrorcast. Uh, you can support us for as little as a dollar a month. I briefly feel the need to explain. There are tiers you get to pick. Yeah. How much you want to contribute. Yeah. The the least amount is a dollar. The most amount is $20 a month. There's stuff in between. There's stuff in between. It's, it, I don't know. It's there. Shout out to our current patrons, Liz, Lizzie, Gray, and Mom. You all are the best and we love you. We also, the only person that we support on uh, Patreon, I forgot the word for a second. Uh, is uh, Lizzie, a.k.a. Carnage Candy. We just got their exclusive birthday stickers for being Patreon supporters, and yeah, they're super that's, that's cute. Yeah, really cool. Um, I, there's a Twitch streamer I, for a while. Oh, yeah, that's right. I just meant the show. We did an exchange thing. Oh, so, we did? Okay. So she supports us, we support her. Oh, cool. <laughs> that's, that's how that worked. If you cannot support us financially, we totally get that. We understand. Like I said, we did an exchange with Carnage Candy, so... We're not still not there with other people that we would like to support. Getting there. Getting there, but we're not there yet. Uh, you can support us in other ways. If you listen to us on a platform that allows rating and reviewing, if you could do that, that would be amazing. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, if you've already done that, just recommend us to a friend that you think might be into this weird thing that we do every week. Yeah. Uh, as a, we briefly mentioned a couple times, we are working on, uh, we're workshopping a new show. Have we mentioned that yet? I don't oh. think we've mentioned it yet. Yeah, we are we are work, workshopping a new show. It is going to be a once a month family friendly read no curses or discussions of genitals. Um, <laughs> well, then I guess we can can't talk about gooey duck. I meant like because <laughs> that thing looks straight up. You okay? You know what I mean yeah, when yeah. I say no discussion of genitals. Well, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's gonna no swearing and stuff, so my dad can listen because he doesn't like that I swear so much. Yeah. <laughs> And it's going to be food-centric. It's going to be food-based, because y'all should know by now, just listening to us, that I, we I go on food. food tangents. But yeah, a, a, a little less raucous, but uh, a great exploration, and yeah, it should be a good time. We're shooting for November. Yeah, we are. So we'll see how that goes, because we are coming up on spooky season, so. Yeah. And I still don't have that planned, so whatever. We'll get there. Yeah. So until next time, I'm Tia. And I'm still David. And stay spooky, friends. Bye. Music for this episode is Save Us Now by Shane Ivers. Our artwork is by Catherine Nixon. <laughs>